Okay, you ready to start this show? Uh, your host of the evening is a really funny dude. Um, I forgot his last name, but I've seen him before, and he's really funny. Uh, give it up for Mike. Coming to you live, on tape, from the lucky 13th floor of a commercial high-rise in beautiful Beverly Hills adjacent California. From the studios of Sirius XM West, boasting an obstructed view of the world-famous Hollywood sign, this is The Tully Show. I am your host, Mike Tully. Joining me today, Jude Angelini is the acclaimed author of the memoir Hyena and the host of the All Out Show on Sirius XM's own Shade 45. Meanwhile, Mark McGrath is the singer of Sugar Ray and the host of Mark McGrath's 120, Heard Weekends on the 90s on 9. Critically, Mark, you are also a three-time champion. A three-time rock and roll Jeopardy champion, which I'm very proud of. Yeah, You should be. It's something It's funny. I, I've done a few things, sold a few records, I've been on TV, but if I see people in airports or in malls, all they want to do is play trivia and challenge me, and they talk about rock and roll trivia. And that, that show was hosted by Jeff Probst. I don't know whatever happened to him. Uh, and it was on for like, like two or three years, but it had a really cultural, significant impact. People really get into trivia, as you know. And you're really good at it, too, by the way. I think you're better than I am. Jude, you know... You have interesting music. Yeah, I can, I, like I'm nice with the hip hop trivia, mm -hmm. but that's about it. Do you think that you have an especially good memory for these sorts of things, or do you think that you took a deeper interest than most people do? That's it. I retain things I like. Mm -hmm. You know, in school I was not very smart. Um, I, we're talking about how earlier I went to the University of Southern California when it was hard to get into. I mean, what it was easy to get into, it's very difficult now. Uh, I was terrible at geometry, math, and, and nothing speaks to me. But all four guys in Winger, no problem. Stays in my head for some reason. Reb Beach, Kip Winger. Was there a You're going to the drummer. You're going to forget course, the drummer. Was it a Rod? Rod. Morgan Stein. Steen. All right. There you go. That was pretty good, guys. Yeah, go. I don't know where I couldn't even tell you a fucking from. Winger song. Yeah, you could. Which, you could name one. I could. I could. You, be you're like, trying not to know one, but you know one. No, dude, I really don't. He like, she's only seventeen. Is it the cherry pie? No, that's one. <laughs> <laughs> this is his answer. He said the same thing to Sebastian Bach. <laughs> that's <laughs> that's his metal joke. Let's go to fucking cherry pie. <laughs> it's gonna be right one of these days. Well, except for the fact that Janie Lane has passed away. Rest his soul. It will never R. be right. R.I.P. Janie Lane. So the reason why I want to have a couple of music experts with me today is because I've wanted to do a show like this for a long time. The the idea being. Thinking of some of the greatest one-hit wonders in popular music history and then taking a listen to the follow-up singles that were intended to sustain the band's success that failed to do so. And I, uh, one-hit wonders it might be considered a bit of a joke or something. I've never looked at them that way. I, I love one-hit wonders because I love how, like, if a band has a bunch of hits, like, Tom Petty can have a great new song, but it's always going to sound like Tom Petty. Sure. A one-hit wonder is, like, a band's whole entire package wrapped up into one thing. So it's kind of like this, if you do it right, it's like this universe unto itself. Well, it's become this negative connotation, and it's the greatest thing in the world for a band right now who doesn't have a hit. You know yeah. what I mean? Imagine you're sitting there going, "Boy, I, there's bands, uh, uh, millions of bands going, God, I wish you could just have one hit. One, one hit. Yeah. They, Once yeah, you they, get yeah, they, there, yeah. They act like it's easy to yeah, get a hit. Exactly. <laughs> you know how hard it is to get one hit? Right. And it became sort of something negative, but, you know, and we were in that space for a second. When Fly hit, it was the anomaly on the record, floored. Yes. Right. And we were real quick to be putting that one hit wonder category. So I sort of know what it feels like for a couple months. Yeah. Did you feel pressure? Oh, yeah. Well, see, you're because, interesting because the majority of bands that are 
able to follow up the one hit. The song's already written and recorded. That's right. They have it already locked and loaded. It's on the album. It's the next single. In your case, you did not have the successful follow-up single off the breakthrough album. You knew full well you had to deliver a hit to sustain entirely, your success. Entirely correct. And we kind of stumbled upon Fly as we got better as musicians and songwriters, and it was written as it was written towards the tail end of Florida. And we're like, wait a minute, let's explore this a little bit. So it was the perfect storm for us coming up with our style and working with our producer, David Kahn, who led us to water and found my voice. So we were in a good place where like the, the well hadn't run dry yet. We're like, wow, let's explore some more of that. That worked. So we were still had a wealth of uh, ideas and enthusiasm for what we were doing. So we got very lucky in that sense. Mm-hmm. And, and the next record had three hits on it. So, you know, became a four-hit wonder. So that was even a bigger record than your first. It was. Yeah, the uh, Florida sold two million copies. And the follow-up, 1459, yeah. which was a play on Andy Warhol's Everybody Gets Their 15 Minutes of Fame. I enjoyed that. Meaning, meaning we have one last second left. So if the album fails, it's the greatest title in the world. But if the album succeeds, it's the greatest title in the world. It was sort of an insurance policy against critics because I'm mean, very self-effacing and self-aware, as you both know. So no one knew the position and the precarious position we were in more than I did. Mm-hmm. So I'm like, oh, my God, what are we going to do to sort of, you know, uh, diffuse that a little bit? Luckily, we came up with a great title and we had songs to back it up. Well, I put together a long list of songs and uh, I don't even know if we're going to be able to get through all of them, so we may as well just get rolling. Uh, Can I say, by the way, this is yes. the greatest concept in the world. I love that when you told me about mm-hmm. it, I'm like, yeah, I wonder what was the second follow-up single that didn't break them. And it's not necessarily a trivia thing because it really didn't get in most people's radar. Right. I mean, maybe you talked to me once. We said Right Said Fred and all that. I think we're going to get do, to that. Do you know the Right Said Fred follow-up single to I'm Too Sexy? No. Yeah. Still still sexy? <laughs> <laughs> Almost. It's Don't a- Talk, Just Kiss, which was a hit in the UK, by the way. So, which is how I know it. I live there. Oh, so you live there. I, right. I know it because I was a Right Said Fred fan, and I still am. For oh, real? Yeah. Like on purpose? You, dude, you know what I'm saying? I just like, I when it came out, <laughs> I think Mike Patton from Faith No More said this. When, he, when, he, when that video first came out, he goes, it was the greatest video I've ever seen in my life because it was just so mind-blowing. Two bald buff guys singing I'm Too Sexy in the middle of this grunge. You know, it was like this beacon of light and fun. Right. And the sea of grunge we were all in and I remember Mike Patton yeah. if Mike Patton from Faith No More can say it's cool then mm-hmm. it kind of let all us fall in behind yeah there weren't a lot of gay bald brothers on MTV <laughs> in the 90s I guess that could beat your ass too by the way right you know? there's that too uh, so uh, it, Andrew Gruse is nice enough to help us out with the show today Andrew if you want to play the first song for us Is this ringing any bells for you guys? Can is you... this the first song, or the, is this the hit, or the this follow-up? This is the follow-up single to a smash hit. Well, the, the... Stylistically, I'm not super familiar with the original, but uh, it's uh, uh, Gangnam Style's oh. Sigh. Oh, dude. I this fucking is... hated that first song. Like... <laughs> This, yeah. That's right, and yeah, that's, so that's in the pocket for me hating that shit. Mm-hmm. D- d- that gentleman was kind of a hit though, because was remember, it? well, the problem with gentleman, it sigh that song was so big, Gangnam Style. Yes, that it came out at number one on the charts on iTunes. So there's a weird sort of definition of what's a hit and what isn't. If you look at it, it went to number one on the charts. You know, I remember uh, Cy going, I'm not a one-hit wonder now. Great, gentleman's a huge. You know, that song's called Gentleman. Mm-hmm. Gentleman's a huge hit. 
Uh, and I was like, nah, B, not really. Not, no. not, not in the world of like having legs and what we're going to talk about. So what's right. interesting about that is he thinks it's a success. Mm-hmm. It probably was elsewhere, but here, nah. But that sounds yeah. completely like Psy. That's what you, and, and this is the conundrum that bands are going to be facing in this is do, how closely do you try to ape the thing that that broke you and some people ape it very very closely as you'll see and some people have you know stylistic departures which is yeah. the reason why the song is you could be too close and you could be too far away well, it know. sounds just like a breakdown of Ganya and, and to your point like with the like uh, I remember F- Fleetwood Mac Tusk was thought to be a fucking failure at right. the time because it only went like four times platinum <laughs> right coming <laughs> off rumors which yeah. sold 16 million well copies, right but yeah. yeah going number one on iTunes with with this the follow up single to Gangnam Style is the equivalent of the band going platinum the week their new album comes out, even though it's a piece of shit, because exactly they're still right. riding the wave of the last one. It's Jackal going gold after the first Jackal record came out with Lama Lama Jack now, baby. Jackal went gold the first time. Yeah, Jackal's first record went platinum. The second record went gold on the strength. Those of, were the. Let days. me ask you, like, how hard is it to go number one on iTunes too? Is that like it's, it? To me, it doesn't sound as good as going like number one. I agree. There's on a, yeah. other shit on Billboard's yeah. Hot 100. There's a total. Total difference between going number one on, on those two. Uh, and, and in fact, you know, TV has so much to do now with songs uh, where they're uh, rated on iTunes. Uh, my wife and I watched this Big Little Lies or something. It's on HBO. It's something that we can finally watch together. Uh, she doesn't like my prison shows or my Dateline shows. But every time they <laughs> every time they have, they show an episode, uh, Leon Bridges' song goes into the top ten again. Yes. Or or uh, I can't remember last week, but the, like a Super Tramp song they had on, it was in the top ten. So there's a lot of immediacy to the iTunes playlist. Mm-hmm. I don't think there's a lot of longevity. I think that's how you can look at it. Right. When you're, when you're looking at what's a hit and what's going to be real, the Hot 100 from Billboard is still... Probably the uh, you know the, the the cornerstone of truth. Yeah, well, and TV and movies have also created a lot of one hit wonders over the years. Songs that never would have made it, but for the fact that they were contextualized in a certain way. I was going to include on this list um, "Wicked Game" by Chris Isaacs, which is a terrific song. That's a complete outlier for '90s pop music that yes. was broke because it was in the Wild at Heart motion picture. The problem is the follow-ups are pretty good, too. It breaks my heart to think that Chris Isaac is a one-hit wonder, that mm-hmm. Concrete Blonde is known as a one-hit wonder, yes. that The Verve is known as a one-hit wonder. I don't know that we still count the one anymore, Mark. What do you mean? After they had to sign over all of the publishing oh, yeah, right. to the Rolling Stones. <laughs> yeah, what a bummer in that, too. I don't know. I still count them as a one-hit wonder. I mean, yeah. I, I understand why people do. I just love The Verve and their talent is so is so vast and they still play arenas around the world. You know, the the the, the one I wonder almost has to come with a little bit of Vanga Boys cheese quality. That's the same with, uh, right. for, for, as far as hip-hop goes, that's the same with uh, Diggable Planets uh, fucking yeah. uh, uh, Rebirth, yeah. Rebirth of Slick. Right. Which, you know, that was a giant, but their follow-up album, Blowout Comb, for any hip-hop, like a real hip-hop head, it's like a go-to Saturday afternoon clean your crib album. Like, it's kind of the shit. Yeah, that happens. Faith No More had that as well. Didn't totally. nearly have the single success off of the follow-up to The Real Thing, but The Angel Dust is But that argu- was also a, almost a album. self-saboteur thing. Yeah, you know, was. Faith No More was not playing in the game anymore. Right. They were almost embarrassed by, like, Epic and the... You can feel it. You can double rap. I mean, I don't want to speak for them, yes. but the way they took a right turn on Angel Dust and he started doing, like, the death metal vocals during uh, uh, my, my, my hemorrhaging uh, midlife crisis song. Yes. You know, I'm like, wow, that is a complete right turn. And you know when the record label heard it, they went, oh, God, we, yeah. have, to, we have to put this out. At the time, it was billed as the weirdest album ever released by a major label. 
label. Yeah, right, exactly. Which, in retrospect, wasn't it was weird. Not, not but at all. Yeah, yeah. And it's still, it's still great. It's good, good music. Hey, what was the song? Was there a single off Diggable Planets follow up that like got any run at all, Jude? Uh, Ninth Wonder was their lead single and biggest single. And off it, that, yeah, it was. Like, I don't remember that. exactly. You know no, what I mean? No. It's like it was like a real straightforward kind of like tripped out. Uh, Tripped out groovy hip hop shit. That was a lot of Roy Ayer samples yeah. in there. Fucking you can't lose with that. You know, it's, it's good. The side song that we listen to is the newest of the one hit wonders we're going to be checking out. The next one is the oldest. Carl Douglas, Kung Fu Fighting. Follow up. He's good. It's kind of good. It? Turn it. I like that. He, got, he brought back the fighting, too. Huh? He wasn't oh, a here punk come, here, comes, here comes the hook. No! Dance the Kung Fu. <laughs> I'm giving myself props for that. Yeah, that's I heard, great. I just heard him the vocal style right away. That Carl Douglas vocal style was so, you know, it was so powerful. But to come back with a karate jam after you just hit them he still had the all-time Mark, he still had the headband on. Come on. Yeah, he probably still does to this day. Yeah, he's still out there performing. He's got no friends. You know, he's sitting around like doing coke at the table. Like, you know, I'm coming back with Dance of Kung Fu. So no one was like, hey, bro, like, go a different route. A black guy, a guy with an afro and doing karate moves is the most coked out guy yeah. you're ever going to meet. Yeah. It's either that or Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, right? I yeah. mean, but you, you know what's funny is, is that song, Kung Fu Fighting's a great song. Mm-hmm. It's almost like the, con, the, uh, the subject matter just really took it down to, you know, the one-hit Wonderville. I mean, it's such a great, if it was just, if it wasn't about Kung Fu Fighting and it was just kind of like a hot chocolate jam or Roy Ayers jam, we'd be like, wow, it's a classic. But it's become, a, you know, I don't want to say a joke. It's kitschy because of the it's Kung very Fu. Kid- because right. of the Kung Fu Next Level. But the playing on it and the songwriting, that's a great song. Was just, that considered disco at the time? Beyond. Absolutely. Yeah. Beyond. And, and disco got the, got his ass whooped, too, by, like, mainstream, by mainstream media. Like, it, it was kind of, you know, disco's, the, to me, disco's a shit. Like, we grew up listening to House and yeah. stuff, which is the, which came after disco. Jude, you know, it's, it's very it's very intuitive, because disco not only probably produced the most one-hit wonders ever in a genre of music, the genre it feels like one giant one-hit wonder. It you does. know, it's almost a double whammy to have a one-hit wonder in a disco era. Woo! Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it, You'll the be thing playing that, County Fairs with Sugar Ray on that one. Yeah. The, <laughs> the thing that I get off of of disco is it was the last time that dance music was made by humans. And you can just feel the difference between live or Memorex. When I listen to disco, that is a human being playing bass. That That's is a human being shaking the maracas yeah. or whatever they're called. You can, like... You can smell the sex coming off of disco yes. because human beings made it. You're right, because there's not a lot of groove to like techno and electronic. Yeah. Ironically, though, there is. Yeah. But there ain't that pocket. And, and, and the criticism would have been that it was soulless and had, had, had no heart. Right. But you can't, you can't make a song that grooves yeah. without heart. It's, it's, it's not possible. It's soul. It's, yeah, yeah. It, it, it it's is, all it is. Yeah, it's the embodiment of soul. Yeah. It was just, you know, it was like that 4 4 beat, and then uh, you know, it was. It was deemed cheesy well, by was, the metal was, guys. It was and, lyrically and the, superficial. 
Right, but that right. doesn't make it musically superficial. And then the movies are kind of found the cultural, like uh, uh, you know, uh, tentacles of disco. If John you Travolta, will. yeah, didn't John go, Travolta, is yeah, didn't go to really the coolest spots in the world. You right. know, and then you had the Bee Gees, who, by the way, are one of the greatest bands of all time. Yeah, they, yeah. I don't want to talk about disco. I want to talk about uh, songwriting, craftsmanship, and and harmonies. I mean, you know, the disco era almost got pegged in that. But before there was a Bee Gees before Saturday Night Live, and if you guys aren't familiar with it, get to know yourself. We'll be a good album to grab. What's uh, that? Uh, what's a good Bee Gees album? I, I do. I would you need, start with the greatest hits. Yeah, you know what I mean because it has Massachusetts. It's got so many great songs. Well, I first, started a joke. Their There's first so many great. Songs. Their first album is positively uh, Beatlesque. Yeah, without a doubt. They were kind of a beat off. I mean, that's, that's where they, they from, were starting. From. They was from. Weren't they from? Uh, they're from wherever Oasis is from, and they moved to Australia. Oh really? Yeah, I think they were born in England. Oh, I thought they were legitimately Australian. I did too. So we I, had I'm, this I'm, argument. The Bee Gees was like born in because we was talking about like my buddy keeps saying Oasis is the best band to come out of that city, and then uh, they googled people from there. From Bee Manchester. So Bee Gees came out of Manchester. Wow, that is some Stone Roses would be part of this conversation. Yeah, as well. Stone Roses. That's what my homeboy was yeah. screaming. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I was totally out of my. League. You can't have Oasis without the Stone Roses. Right, you, know you can't. You can't. And Stone Roses were doing something so different at the time. You know, when Stone Roses still sound fresh today, mm-hmm. as fresh as they did in '88. Will Pendervis and I were enjoying the fuck out of "I Want to Be Adored" three days ago. Oh. Turn up on 10. 10 is, story love song? You ever that song? It's godlike. Absolutely wow. godlike. Uh, let's check out our next one hit wonder and the, uh, more importantly, the follow up single to a one hit wonder. Kind of got a footloose vibe so far. Very English, very OMD ish. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you're already in the ballpark. Oh, it's it's uh, it's soft sell. Yeah, you're it's absolutely soft sell. right, Mark Allman. Mm-hmm. This guy's good, dude. He's really good. He was worried about this too. No, he was concerned. I, I called he him. He wanted a, a cheat sheet. I, I got a reputation to protect, man. I can't be having people not knowing that I don't know my shit. Let me ask you a question. Soft yeah. sell, Mark Allman. Mm-hmm. If you're raised in Southern California and raised on a huge diet of K Rock, yes. Soft Cell, Mark Allman were not one hit wonders. They're like Sex Dwarf, Isn't right. It Nice, Luring Disco Dollies to a Life of Ice. Well, they're sort of like Concrete Blonde and Faith No More and a couple other bands we've already talked about where That's they right. have they have a double life as a mainstream band and then as a more credible band and it's just two different things that didn't have a whole lot to you know, your your mom's never heard Sex Dwarf. Without unless your mom's <laughs> my mom a lot cooler than mine. <laughs> but we should say that the original, of course, was Tainted Love. Yes. Uh, and it, which which segued into the song? Where what, did our love go? Where did our love? And Tainted Love was a uh, Huge. that was the cover, wasn't it? No, that was not. They wrote that. Tainted Love. No shit. But it, but it segued into Where did our love, baby, baby? Where okay. did our love go? No shit. So that's kind of probably where you're getting at. The okay. Supremes joined at the end of that, which was a great segue and a gigantic song. But as I said, being raised in Southern California, Soft Cell to me, it was almost a soundtrack to a lot of my high school. You know, and Mark Allman is a solo artist. I, I'm big big fan. of I feel like radio was a lot cooler in Southern California than it was where both of us were growing up. Well, I don't know. Jude, I think, was we raised had, on a steady diet of Bob Seger. Uh, and, yo, and, like, well, we had the electrifying mojo, 107.5. Like, he broke Prince. You know, like, we had yeah. we had pretty good fucking radio. But you were strictly funk or that stoner Camaro rock, right? They're like, we were coming right down Main Street with parachute pants, dyed bangs, Duran Duran, psychedelic burst, culture club. I mean, it took a while for the rest of the country, I think, to catch up with what K-Rock was doing here in Southern California. 
I was like JLB. I was like WJLB. I remember like Erotic City, and then you flip to the non-black station, and it was Tears for Fears yeah. and shit like that. Yeah, so was here. we had Top Forty Radio inventing the morning zoo concept Oof. in the New York, New Jersey area. Oof, uh, who was your guys? Who was the Scott Shannon? Oh, was Scott Shannon? Uh, he's Shannon was he... out here at Pirate Radio forever. Right. Well, the, he the he is credited with. For better or for worse, pioneering the morning zoo, the Z morning zoo was a was the the part of the fabric of our lives. Honk honk, like with the little fucking horn. <laughs> hey, it's a uh, wacky jack. And, it's uh, Skippy and Jippy in the morning. Come on, yeah. Where's the imaginary character in his lime green pinto? He's down at the mall today. Oh. Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Those and were... you know those guys when going back to the rock and roll Jeopardy thing, and when I won it in the nineties, you know I'd I'd be on tour, and, and when you're on tour and you're promoting a record, you go to various radio stations. You go there usually in the morning, right? And it's usually a morning zoo, and I'd come out of the bus hung over and my tormentor would wake me up on the bunk go dude you have to do this interview I go no dude I can't I'm just too hungover I just went to bed an hour ago anyway they dragged me out of the bunk and put me in there and then what did Zippy and Zippy and Duda want to do in the morning second I walked in take me on in music trivia so here I'm blacked out draw came and thinking like alright dude who was the, the, the roadie for Spooky Tooth in 67 oh we got you you saw you know it's like oh my god so I've got to, I want to hear Morning Zoo it just makes my inner cockles go strange I feel like doing press is is not. I'm not really sure why celebrities do it anymore. It seems like such a bad trade to get a, a half hour of exposure on a thing and in return to be asked questions about your sex life. I think today in today's social media and the immediacy of information flowing, you're completely right. But back then in the '90s, yeah, you know, you had to do the dance. You want you a couple more spins, right? You want some spins. You want your follow up single that's not as strong as just first one. Mm-hmm. They get about 20 more spins. You're going to come in, in the morning. You do your thing, yep. and uh, there's a quid pro quo there, if right. you will. And if and then, then they then they leverage you with the label. You want the new Jewel single? You better bring Sugar Ray in for a morning thing. If you mm-hmm. want the uh, Matchbox 20 single, you're not going to get it unless you put Sugar Ray in the festival. I mean, there's a lot of stuff. Stuff at play. I mean, that's kind of what publicists do today. You they know? Sure, yeah. of course they do. Well, speaking of uh, follow-up singles that didn't do as well <laughs> as the original, let's have our uh, fourth. Oh, MC! Wow. Follow-up to How Bizarre. This guy's fucking good. I- and he's well. What's worse is that I'm impressed that you know who this is. I'm disappointed that you are chicken dancing. That, to you're, it. Ha- that you're happy. <laughs> <laughs> Like, this is my shit. <laughs> wasn't even a chicken dance. <laughs> the only days I broke off of this fucking. There was, was a little bit of flapping going on. <laughs> <laughs> elbows went up, elbows went down. Now, what's yeah. the name of the song? It's called "On the Run." This is the follow-up to the How Bizarre. How Do you know bizarre. how far it got? Did it I don't, even crack I don't the top hundred? I don't know. Yeah, this evolved to How Bizarre. Everybody knows How Bizarre, How, how bizarre. bizarre. Ooh, baby. Yeah. And I remember when that song came out, there was the riff in it, very similar to Fly's. Uh, There's my. And it, this song right. came out about two months before Fly did, and I went. Oh my God! Our career's over before it even started. Here's a song. Everyone's think we copied OMC. How bizarre! Yeah, uh, and you know that's just where my mind frame was at back then. Luckily, did, it, it did didn't anybody happen. even catch it? No shit? one even. No, no one even brought it up. No one even brought it up. Yeah, luckily the song was strong enough to stand on its own. But yeah. and the riff is not like you know, we weren't reinvent. It was like we were tapping for the first time, like Eddie Van Halen. It was distinctive enough, dude. It was, it was definitely distinctive. But they they come from a reggae background as well as we do. So it's it, it's a it's a it's a it's a uh, familiar sort of feel on the guitar in terms of a riff. So uh, I think we had a little bit of wide berth in that sense. But uh, Where are they from, I, England? They're from New Zealand. 
That's right. Oh shit! Yeah. And they were and they continued to be successful there. I think the guy passed away recently, right? I, that, the, I was uh, I was going to say uh, I can't remember his name. Nor can I. me. But yeah, he did pass away recently, unfortunately. How bizarre! Yeah, uh, somebody <laughs> had to say it probably. <laughs> I, I love. Totally hates that humor, and I love that. <laughs> I love the easy ones. And he's insulted by. You guys that. have fun with the low hanging fruit. <laughs> so we got to do it. <laughs> That's great. So I thought that I think of the '80s as being like the classic time for one-hit wonders, but there are Mark, as you know, working on the '90s channel here. There's a a really big number of '90s bands. I mean, there's always been one-hit wonders that continue to be to this day, but really kind of fit the bill of uh, again the the shtick. The how bizarre thing has a has a shtick to it. I don't even think they would debate that, and that also applies to this next follow-up single to a one-hit wonder. Oh yeah. Lou Bega, Mumbo number five. How do you know all this shit, bro? I live this, dude. It's Lou Bega, the 90s. Yeah, you, I, he, he did just say he was sitting there with the zoos. Yeah. He was going from zoo to yeah. zoo. Yeah. And you got to sit there and listen plus, to the Plus, can you hear the song? Play on the, Does, this? Doesn't this sound like Mumbo number five? Yeah, it yeah, does. It's yeah. total rewrite. It's not even. Snap your fingers. Different. No, but I'm just, I'm fine. I'm having a good time. Is that so wrong here? <laughs> I want you to enjoy yourself. So my grandfather plays uh, vibraphones at... That? It's uh the it's like electric is electric uh, xylophone, basically. Oh, cool. So he plays vibraphones like old school jazz, and he had to learn mambo number no. five for the senior <laughs> citizens at home. <laughs> so, <laughs> that's that's when you know that you got a monster on your hand. <laughs> that song was everywhere, man. That was one of those jams everywhere. I think that song even got a little run too, because people were looking for anything similar to Mambo Number no. Five. Needed that swing, yeah. I couldn't yeah. let go of that swing. Well, speaking of swing, that was when the swing thing was kind of like a perfect that was storm a, yeah. for him because squirrel nut zippers, squirrel nut zippers were happening, cherry popping daddies. Brian Setzer came back really strong with yeah. a jump jive and whales. So that was right in the pocket and a great idea. And a great song, and a really nice guy. I met Lou Bega a few times. I was struck by an article, it's funny what you remember, that I saw in Entertainment Weekly during the quote-unquote swing revival about how much of a media creation it actually was. Yes, there was genuine enthusiasm for the Lou Bega song. Yes, there was genuine enthusiasm for Brian Setzer. But I remember the comparison that they made is they said, uh, maybe it was Squirrel Nut Zippers. They're like, they've currently sold like 300,000 albums. Like, Silk the Shocker has sold 5 million albums right. on No Limits this year, and nobody's ever heard of him outside of the hip-hop community. Right. And yet we are being led to believe and that, he couldn't even stay swing, on beat. that Swing is back. <laughs> yeah. yeah, his greatest talent was being related to Master P. <laughs> yeah, straight up. <laughs> Do you remember the No Limit catalog phenomenon? Mm-hmm. Every If you were on No Limit, you were guaranteed you, to debut yeah. at number one. Yeah. Now, now, can anybody name more than two no limit songs. Yeah, For, forget public can. Yeah, we'll like how you do, uh, how you do that, that, um, motherfucking the ice cream man. Uh, Is it called motherfucking ice cream man? Or are you just ice, saying that? the ice cream man? Okay, so how you do that, that. That's about two. It, about it, about, about it, about it. That's all yep. Master P though. Well, two were Master P. One was Young Bleed. Okay, and um, then you had like Moby Dick. You had Cain and Abel. I worked at. I was a token white guy at a at a at a rap sh- at, at a at a. At a record store at at the time when when P was just blowing up and it was like yo, anytime like Moby Dick I couldn't even like because I didn't really fuck with uh, No Limit too much I was right. more I was more like a hip hop purist at that time uh-huh. but like 
a rapper. Uh, I, I don't even know if he rapped or sang. Moby Dick had dropped, and it, it, we'd sell out. But go, go, and, just go gold. Everything went gold. Yeah. And I always remember their production team, their in-house production team, Beats by the Pound. Beats by the Pound. Because they were turning so much shit out. Ouch. Was Manny Fresh part of Beats by the Pound? Forgive he me. He was with um the other. Oh, he, he was with that was cash, with, cash Limit. Cash, cash, cash money. money. Cash money. Forgive me. I'm from Newport Beach, California. <laughs> but, but I remember back to the like the oh the fucking this, during the swing period, I remember that's when the cigar bars was popping too yeah. in Michigan, at least. It was just like it was like you would go you would go to these bars, at least for me in it would be like cigar bars and swing upstairs and then like regular music downstairs. Yep. Women pretended to like cigars for six solid months in the Yeah, 90s. there were six solid months. I'm the tough chick with cigars. You can't get over mm-hmm. me until Come they- to me more. Yeah. Right. <laughs> oh, yeah. I remember that yeah, shit. Yeah, I got a big tobacco cock in my mouth. Check me out. I'm... <laughs> I can do anything men can do. I'm liberated. Well, that's how they got people to start smoking cigarettes in the first place. Uh, there was like some march. They got, they got women to start smoking cigarettes. Oh, that's right. They, the they, they, paid, they paid like these young debut, New York debutantes uh, th- this money or they, they gave them, they all gave them cigarettes and told them to all light up at the same time and they had a photographer there to take a picture and be like, this is a symbol of... This of women's is liberation of and women's power. Lib and yeah. empowerment. And like, that's what... that's what It was... And it's like what happened to Swing, man. Yeah. It's a media creation. But I think Swingers had a lot to do with the Swing sort of phase too. It was like... A, yeah. It came in early in the 90s and then kind of permeated into a couple bands and stuff. Movies will do that. Remember uh, fucking Sideways, the wine movie, killed oh. Merlot for oh. fuck. Merlot got his ass whooped. <laughs> right, right. Just because Sideways decided to shit on it. Can you imagine being like a Merlot farmer? Like, what the fuck, dude? Easy come, easy go, yeah, man. Right, I mean, man. it probably only got popular because it sounds nice. Right, right. Yeah. It does sound nice. And it's only when you know how to order, you know. It's give me a Merlot, you know, when you're panicking at the bar when they ask for your order. Exactly. <laughs> it's funny, though, how things can be in the air like that. I remember when the cardigans were successful yes. in, it's around 2000 or late 90s, whatever, uh, I guess mid-90s, the 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 lounge thing. There was a lounge thing. And where the hell does that come from? There wasn't any movie that launched that. I remember there were, you'd go to Urban Outfitters, and they'd have compilations right. of lounge instrumentals. Of like tiki lounge, yeah, they know, were, sort they of were, Brazilian. They, they were part of a movement. And now, uh, to a kid, they're a one-hit wonder. That's right. That had this shtick. But there was... There was what there was their song? I don't even know it. Love Fool? Remember, no. Uh, uh, you sing it. Uh, uh, You're the pro. Uh, what, what are you? <laughs> <laughs> Do you have pro tools? <laughs> go, love me, love me, oh, yeah, say that, that you love me. Yeah, I totally know that one. Yeah. yeah, and they did a devastating lounge cover of Black Sabbath's Iron Man. Oh, that's right. Really good. We don't have that. that. Was, was that the follow up? They sexed it up. No, uh, the follow up I would guess should have been the first song on the album, "Your New Cuckoo." Your new cuckoo, which R- is a great song. Was Richard Cheese? Did he come out around that same time? I'm he, not familiar he, with Dick Cheese. He did. He did. Uh, he did all the sticky. He did all yeah. the sticky lounge versions of like, like Rage Against the Machine. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, like I want to fuck you like an animal. Yeah, yeah. shit like yeah. that. It was. It was. Uh, it was on that early. It was a it, weird time. It was good for like one song on a mixtape. If 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 you wanted to be like, look how quirky I am. Yeah, well, you know, everybody, mm-hmm. all the hipsters, they look back to go forward, if you will. Right. You know what I mean? Like, let's let's reinvent swing again. Let's get on lounge. Let's get all Sinatra. You know, I mean, I what is the, what is the shelf life for when a decade turns good again? What twenty? 
It, would you want to say 20 years? I think I think 20 is fair. That gives it, it, because you know what it is? The people that are coming up weren't there at the time. Like, right. I, yeah. I look at these young kids dressed like 90s, yeah. and they, they wear shit that was whack in the fucking 90s. Without like, a doubt. I'm like, yo, that shit was corny when we was out. Like, right. you're rocking it like, oh, I'm rollerblading right. in Zubas. Like, right. yo, <laughs> you got your ass whooped, dude. <laughs> like, you would have been, oh, that's, the, that's like the fuck me up outfit. But like, out here, they're like, oh, look yeah. at me. I'm fucking crazy. I think you're right. I, li- I, li- I listen to Black Box. They're super cool. You should <laughs> yeah. check them Matt. Yeah, it's so so hip and technotronic, and, and and but I think I think the stink of something gets completely evaporated after twenty years. You know, I like to say the stink of the nineties is almost gone. You yeah. know what I mean? Because dudes are highlighting their hair again, man. Gavin from are. Bush has got a gang of highlights, and mm-hmm. I told you, kind of came to that little yacht, little yachty, and yeah. and Wiz Khalifa started doing it, and then it came back, and white dudes are, you know, I just you're hung, a fashion icon. I hung on this thing so long, it came back in <laughs> style. That's what you do. That's what you do. That's that's the one thing I would tell anybody who has like a a, a shtick or a gimmick or whatever. You have to see it through the lean years, but it's hard because it's hard. once you get over that, it's the Lemmy rule. Right. Yeah. Yep. Once you get over it, you are eternal and you are legendary you have to tough it out it's the brett michaels rule it's a david hasselhoff rule it's the sticks rule ario speedwagon rule those guys couldn't get booked into the roxy a 500 seat venue uh 15 years ago but now they're playing like arenas again journey's bigger than ever so just you got to stick through it but those lean years are tough mm-hmm. and I'm, it, I'm living them i've been through them they are tough bro and like back in the look man you know you shit on a group from the 80s in 70s that you thought were cor- was corny if you really like they can play like oh, yeah. at least yo you might they might not have been like fucking punk rock at the time but you go back and re-listen you're like oh all right dog that guy can play like yeah. i'm not gonna fucking oh. sit on shit got on the what? guitar solo on yes. uh, the on harden my heart by quarter flash it's amazing it's beautiful well, I, I dare you to say duran duran can't play or what's my man that played the, the guitar shashon steve uh Sh- steve vai no on uh, from journey Oh, St- uh, Neil, Neil Sean. Sean. Neil Sean. Yeah, he played with Santana. Oh, too. Neil like, Sean. Give me a fucking break. Right. He, yeah, he gets a no. He, yeah. He's yeah. He's always been. I mean, those who know know, but now everybody knows. Duran Duran though bail. is it, okay. Thanks, Jude. Take care, guys. Check Later, Jim. Is it me? Is it me? I won't take it personal. Yeah, you're uh, saying Duran Duran. Yeah, they were like the poster children for MTV for boy bands style over substance. substance. It's like. They're not just okay. No. They're a really good band. I will refer back to my earlier comments about disco. To make a groove with human beings takes some doing. Absolutely. Look at Nile Rodgers. And a lot of bass playing. Look at Nile Rodgers. Probably one of the greatest musicians of all time. From Sheik, sure. Completely affiliated with disco. Mm -hmm. Uh, He had a huge hand in making Duran Duran, you know, uh, Mm -hmm. a lot of their albums. And, And John Taylor as a bass player is so in the pocket, it's scary. Yeah. You know, and so they're just, it's just funny. Some of those bands from the 80s, they all play, but they really got lumped into that boy band manufactured thing, which is completely unfair assessment. Right, but it was also a product of, of, of MTV. Of the times, too. Yeah, exactly. We didn't know any better. You know? Right, right, exactly. The, the, the images were so powerful that they overwhelmed the music. That's right. And, and then you, then you go back on your image. You're right. Mm-hmm. And you go back and visit the catalog and you go, wow, Save a Prayer, Rio. Yeah. I mean, well, I mean, just notorious skin mm-hmm. trade. To Dur- I'm speaking of Duran Duran. Like, those are right. some great. I mean, listen to Duran Duran's greatest hits. Every one is a gigantic masterpiece. I have something that I've wondered about with music where. I don't think things sound dated to me the way they do to other people. In I, what I, capacity? What well, I, I don't. I can't think of a single song that I go, yeah, that's good, but it just sounds so old and cheesy now. Some metal does that to me. Some hair metal. 
You know, if I'm listening to a uh, uh, Faster Pussycats first record, do I really love it? Sounds dated to me. Um, uh, well, they couldn't really play it in the first. Yeah, album. The yeah. Maybe, they were maybe, they were they were kind of cruising on attitude. You're, you're, which I which by the way, I always buy a healthy dose of that all day because I love attitude. You know, I you know it's strange. Shooting you down, shooting you down holds up. The B side, the this, the second side actually was better than the first side. Even yeah, though you're the right. Singles were on the first side. What was uh, my Smash ship, Alley? Was ship comes in on the second side? Yes. That's one of my favorite Faster Pussycat songs of all time. Uh, some of that didn't, you know, didn't uh, the the metal because got really thin and cheesy in production. Some of it did. It did. I think some of that I can tell that sounds really dated. Mm-hmm. Some of that eighty stuff as well. I guess it's up to the producer, right? But my question, uh, my point is, is this uh, to me? Take Duran Duran. If you look at one of their videos, the way that they carried themselves looks so embarrassing. I'm not going to try to defend the way that they carried themselves. If you look at a lot of the clothes that they wore, whatever the hell they were doing with their hair in a given video, I'm not going to defend that. Uh, the Smiths are maybe my favorite band of all time. I think the music is timeless. Yes, it belongs to an era, and yeah. you could guess that if you weren't familiar with them, but it is also timeless at the same time. Their visuals are not timeless they're they're painful yes a smith's video is not that there really are proper videos but anything that they made to promote a song is 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 embarrassing it, to they, look at they are embarrassing and i think a lot of the the, the problem with a lot of the 80s videos they tried to be artsy yeah. like you'd have like john taylor on a boat holding like an old like compass and and playing with it like it was it was just trying to be artful as opposed to trying to sell something you know it was still the new videos were still new mtv had been on since what 81 and so right. they was still learning how do videos work? Are they art? Are they are they commerce? Are they both? Mm-hmm. And I think uh, and, and that, I think the real artistry of the '90s really started happening with the grunge videos in the '90s. I think you you know you had the Kevin Kerslakes of the world, um, uh, uh, and and so many guys that came in and really added a, uh, a a layer of artistry on the videos that hadn't been seen yet. Speaking of video artists, we're going to get to one of the classic ones in a moment. But first, you'll have no trouble guessing um, who recorded this follow-up single to a big hit. You didn't have to conversate with me. I can say that. It would have made my day if you just had way back. I used to buy you candy lollipops and gum drops. This was a follow-up? Was it a hit? I've never heard it before. You Might be better. Like dirt and everyone in the school knows. You call me out my name and crack jokes on my school. So if anyone can make you feel good, girl, I This is not bad. You give me I like think it might be a better song I than so just too. a friend. It just doesn't have the silly hook. What is the hook? Can we get to it? I'ma make it and you be one and me. Been trying hard ever since I'm sure it'll happen eventually. <laughs> it's wrapped. They got twenty four bars. Bismarcky might be uh, an underrated national treasure. He is amazing. He uh, See, I think this has aged well. Is that crazy of me to no. not feel like this belongs solely to 1988 or whatever it came out? I think that's a fair assessment. I, I can feel humanity shining through Bismarcky. Well, he's just so charming and such and such a great performer, such a unique vocal style, if you will. Yeah. Uh, and he co-starred with me in Sharknado too, which is a vastly underrated film. And such a good guy. He's Speaking also- of things that will also date very well. <laughs> You know, it's the good news. The worse that dates, the better it'll be. That's the funny thing. Right. But uh, You can't lose. And Bismarck, he's also on the I Love the 90s tours with me. A really, really great guy. Um, mm-hmm. But I saw you're on one of those now, or at least they're, yeah. they're advertising one they're, now. They're starting to rock and roll, and we're, we're having a lot of fun doing it. So if you're a fan of the 90s, make sure you check out I Love the 90s tour.com. Uh, but who's promoting? Uh, I know totally loves that. Um, but but I just a friend, just a friend, where'd that song, where'd the hook come from? I don't know. 
Because I don't, I think it's, I think it, it's it, is, a, it is a sample of something. I guess everything was. But yeah. I mean, he sang it, so he didn't yeah. sample it, which made it so. Oh, yeah, you're right, you're right, you're right, right. You it know? was, it was lifted. Yeah, like uh, Mo Money Mo Problems isn't isn't sampled, but That's it's right. the chorus from uh, I'm coming up from Diana Ross. Do you remember the very famous case where Bismarck, he obviously wasn't this song, or it might have been, uh, he sampled Alone Again Naturally by Gilbert of Sullivan, speaking mm-hmm. of one-hit wonders, mm-hmm. uh, and didn't clear it. Yeah. And this is where the first like, multiple million-dollar lawsuit began uh, in terms of uh, uh, fair use of the sample. You know, He actually took the master and put in a song, and I don't know if it was that song, but it was one either close to it or that one, uh, and, and it was a big, gigantic lawsuit, and it, it really hit Biz and the record company in the pocketbook. I also recall, I don't know if he was sued over this, maybe he cleared it, the the uh, he had the song nobody beats the biz yeah which people who are not from the uh, New York tri-state area may not know this but was a rewrite of a commercial jingle for a local electronics store called the Wiz no way and he <laughs> yeah. actually used the word in no, there? it was it was nobody beats the Wiz and he made it nobody beats the biz it was it was a it was like a radio jingle it was like somebody taking Universal City Nissan. Which people in Southern California would get, other people wouldn't. But Universal City Nissan. Oh my God! And getting your hook out of that, which probably now that I say it out loud, probably fifty rappers we've never heard of who haven't made a name for themselves have made a song with the Universal City Nissan. Without a doubt, right? Right? Are you kidding me? It's right there. It's on every hip hop channel, every single break. It's funny though, because hip hop was so brand new then, and I don't think people, and and so was the the. I mean, people thought hip-hop was going to die in the late 80s. I right. mean, we're talking about it's a fad. Mm-hmm. It's not going to last. I mean, I had a big argument with my dad about that very thing. Right. So I think people were getting away with sampling and things, and they saw the, the amount of money being made. And then lawyers got involved and said, wait a minute, this thing's here to stay for a while. Right. People, been... were, people were dead wrong. Hip-hop didn't die until like 99. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Do you like any of today's hip-hop, Tony? Me, personally, I can't. I can't say that I do. I've been thinking about... Do I like any modern music since the last time you and I discussed music and modern music on this show? And I realized that there's only, it's not a genre, but there is, because we were talking about whether or not there are any rock classics anymore. And I don't think that there really are, because I think rock and roll, almost without exception, needs to be guitar driven. Yeah, I don't think you can call it rock and roll otherwise. But there are so many acts that, pretty much if you make it to Saturday Night Live... Yes. The odds are you are making something that most people do know that most people can respect. I don't know well, if I'm gonna, I don't I'm... know if Florence and the Machine have penetrated the market the way big bands did in the 80s, 90s or whatever, but you have created standards. But I'm okay, I'm going to go well I'm going to I'm going to have a counter argument that right now. Father John Misty was just on Saturday Night Live. Mhm. They've always, I mean, I'll, no, but he, I'll just read myself. That's truly, I mean, mm-hmm. I father John Misty. Yeah. And your your listeners are doing the same thing I'm doing. And I saw him and he was fine. And, you know, but I, I don't know what song. Right. I don't know. You know I didn't I didn't know what he even looked like. Right. You know. Well, uh, haven't they always thrown in one or two to for, for credibility? But but there would be, well, I guess Father John Misty has a buzz. And he's in a lot of arenas. And he certainly has a, a presence in, in the Europe and UK. I know that. So uh, you're right. Maybe they're still trying to, I mean, they are starting, still trying to break bands over there, which, which is cool. Right. Know? They still are relying on the old model of how to break a band, and mm-hmm. no better than TV. Um, not too long ago, their decision to put uh, uh, what's her Lana Del Rey on the air, Lana I think, was borne out because that was considered an industry favor, which is such a, an absurd allegation that that Lorne Michaels has been running this TV show for forty years, and all of a sudden decides right. to hand to out cow-chow. one musical yeah. favor is a very strange thing. Right. 
was it would it influence his decision that her dad's connected or whatever maybe you know but Lana Del Rey is a successful artist I so. think he also saw the, the the talent there because how many how many people has Lauren Michaels known his banker friends whoever hey my son's in a band you know and, yes. and they probably had been signed yes and he said sorry I'm not I'm keeping integrity in my show that's why it's been on for 40 plus years right and uh, we'll we'll go through the channels to make sure they pass and obviously Lana Del Rey was the right correct choice right so I mentioned video artists mtv artists from the early 80s and our next follow-up single from a one-hit wonder comes from a prototypical example okay boy that's dated okay i know i know this of course you do Rough sledding for a single. Yep, and there's the female backup vocals. <laughs> you know it all. This, this was a hit. Was it? Was it? Well, to me it is. I still listen to this album top to bottom, but yeah. most people never gave the Buggles that, a shot. They are the the. Uh, I'm video- such a Trevor Horn fan, though. But maybe I'm maybe I'm in my own fandom thinking this was a. You know what I mean? And it it, it certainly wasn't a hit. It was know. no video killed the radio star. No, not not at all. Right. Which and- what, which is what what's significant about that? Let's tell your listeners that it was the first video on MTV. Uh-huh. Right. Do you know the date? I know it's 81, right? August 8th. Okay, I I do not know that. If I'm not mistaken, and I don't think I am, the Buggles made the song Video Killed the Radio Star, and it was such a success that they had to then go make an album. They were not prepared. They were were not prepared to be an album, and and that's why it's actually pretty remarkable. The the album thing only has nine songs on it, but they're pretty good. They're yeah. all good. Well, yeah. I mean, they're, they're songwriter producers. I think they have responsible for Godly and Cream and and and, and all those bands. Godly and Cream. Remember, you make me want to cry. God. Remember that black and white video and they were, everybody was crying in it. It's a, it's a bummer. You, you, do you remember it? Uh uh-uh. uh. Oh boy. Wow. I'm talking about one hit wonder. Go you got to go pretty go deep on the 80s stuff for me to not know what you're talking <laughs> go, about. But Godly and Cream. Crying. I mean, you're talking about a guy who's got the Goonies theme by Cindy Lauper on my iPod. <laughs> I can't. It's it, kind of her best song, by the way. It, she's great. She's super talented. And she's talk amazing. about well, I mean, I guess uh, you can't call Cindy Lauper a one hit wonder, but no, people, no, no. But people would want to. No way. True Colors was well, a yeah. Hit. True Colors is gigantic, and she bop, she bop, time was after great. time, time after time. But people just you know they they elevate her to you know girls just want to have fun. Well, it's, it's a signature song, certainly. Yeah. That that's that's despite it. the fact that she might not, she might have chosen a different signature for herself. That's true. <laughs> <laughs> Super talented gal. Still, she's still singing, singing hearts. Out. She is. She's one of those girls that can play fifty-five instruments. Mm-hmm. Uh, sing is better today than she could back then, even. Yep. And it's one of the nicest human beings in the world. She's just out on a tour with. What's it? Not, she does a not tour Rod Stewart. She's out. She's on the road with somebody. She's 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 the lesser name on the the bill that she's. It might have been Rod Stewart. Might have been. Might have been. Yeah. Um, uh, speaking of signature songs, this band had one, and this isn't it. (laughs) (laughs) 
This is 90s. This is 90s. This is not sound very similar. This is a a band with a lot of members. Is it Chumbawamba? This is the follow-up to Tub Thumping that I get knocked down. I I get up again. It's called... I have a lager drink. I have a whiskey drink. It's called Amnesia, and dare I say it's somewhat forgettable. You know what's interesting about this? So different than, you know, we talked about mm-hmm. uh, what what made it not. I mean, that just sounds like an average song from yes. the 90s. Yes. Where Tub Thumping is a brilliant song. And it's and got it a lot of charm. Mm-hmm. And it's uh, it's memorable. It's uh, There's never been another song exactly like it. Never, never again. And how again. many songs can you say that about? Not, not many. Maybe... Mm-hmm. Okay. okay. I, I, thought you were gonna, I thought that was coming. Because I was dying to know what would be the follow-up to that Crash Test Dummy song. Mark McGrath, I've been to see the Crash Test Dummies perform live. You I, have? I bought the follow-up album. Come on! It doesn't. Can he recreate that yeah, baritone? He's great. he's great live. He's great. They played on SNL, where they also played the follow-up single to Mm-mm-mm-mm, which is a little ditty called Afternoons and Coffee Spoons, which is good, <laughs> but not as good as the two songs after it on the album, Swimming in Your Ocean and uh, uh, In the Days of the Caveman. I am uh, beyond impressed. And it takes a lot for me to move the needle on impression in terms of music. And the fact that you ha- you're deep into the catalog, mm-hmm. you've seen them live, yeah. you bought the follow up, and they're Canadian, aren't they? Yes. And when was when did you see them live? I saw them on the follow up tour. So been ninety three, four ish. A little bit later than that, I was in college, so late nineties. Uh-huh. And I brought my mom, and I remember the singer said they'd just been playing somewhere where people fuck cows. Ah, and I was like, brought mom here. Yeah, that always goes over well. Just, I thought, I thought, I thought I could depend on the crash test dummies for a certain <laughs> on, level of decorum. Bring in a cannibal corpse, you know what you're getting. Yeah, right. Bring in a crash test dummy. What size venues were they playing at that time? I saw them. I don't think they'd sold a lot of tickets, but I saw them at the Bowery Ballroom in New York, which is a lovely little place. It's a thousand seater. And that was in the 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 first heyday of the Bowery Ballroom. Yeah. Wow. Mm-hmm. Wow. I. Consider this is this is a crazy thing to admit to. I consider the the Brad guy from the Crash Test Dummies an influence on my guitar playing. That's incredible because I didn't <laughs> know he had guitar skills like that. I don't know that everyone would agree that he does. Are you talking songwriting skills? No, 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 no. I mean guitar playing. What made his guitar playing? He had interesting? this. He had to, well because he does the same thing that I do. This is kind of inside baseball here, but. Uh, he had just as much trouble as I do zeroing in on just one out of the six strings. <laughs> so he would do a thing where he's basically choking off the entire neck. Right. So you could always hear the scrapes. He's, <laughs> he's really squeezing every... <laughs> but it's it's on purpose. You do it you do it to compensate because you can't keep on missing the strings. So you sure. just mute all the other ones. Oh, I love that. But at a certain point, you go, I can actually kind of do something with this. I can do a little sweep, these little choked off sweep pick things. Most people have a hard time trying to do that. And if that's your style, yeah, you know what I'm saying. I mean, well, I, couldn't, try- I can't do it the right way. I can only do it the wrong. Yeah, right, but right. which means you're doing it the right way. Necessity being the mother of invention. Of invention. Right, exactly. right. That right. that what, dude? Uh, that's amazing. And people go down the line going, "What are your guitar influences?" Oh, Eddie Van Halen, Hendrix. You say Brad. I mean, What's he's his not. Name? It, What's his name? Uh, Brad. I'm gonna go with Roberts. Roberts, Brad Roberts. I'll that's take it. Guess, Sounds yeah. Canadian, right? right? Yeah. <laughs> it does, doesn't it? Yeah. <laughs> are they still performing live today? Because I do these '90s tours, man. I have to give your boy a call. I don't know. Uh, I do follow Brad from the Crash Test Dummies on Twitter. How many followers does he have? Does no, that... I might be the one. <laughs> He's not very active. Have you? Have you corresponded with Brad? No, I haven't. I have corresponded with the producer of Pretty Boy Floyd's album. On Twitter? The metal man? Yeah. Rock, rock, 48 hours. Why wouldn't you correspond with him? 
I think I, I fear that you're the only person who's interested in hearing anything about the Crash Test Dummies. I love music. You know, I think you're wrong. You're gonna hear about the these shows and like what last show we did. People love to talk about and listen to music because they're passionate about it, and yeah. especially if you have any sort of nostalgic, uh, you know, connection to music. I mean, which most people hopefully do. It means a lot. You right. Know? Well, he was I talking love... about Ganyam style earlier. Mm-hmm. We mentioned that as one of the one hit wonders. Yeah. That was one of the first songs my kids ever acknowledged. So whether I like it or not doesn't matter. It's, it's part the of your life. Beatles to me forever. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Right. My right. Right. Kids right. acknowledged it first. Well, I enjoy talking music with you, Mark McGrath. But we have to go. We're actually out of time. We haven't even done half That's of the it? list. So I, kn- I know. I know. So oh. we'll just uh, let's we'll... say it for another time, Tully. This yeah, maybe going to be a repeat thing. Okay. Game. Thanks a lot for uh, coming by. As always, Mark McGrath's 120 Heard Weekends on the 90s on 9 here on SiriusXM. Your MarkMcGrath.com. Your Mark underscore McGrath in my heart. Oh, thank you, buddy. Thanks a lot, Dave. I'll never unfollow you.